Hey there, podcast listeners. Okay, so this isn't actually a sermon. What you're about to listen to is a seminar, which I ran at the MTS Shopfront event. It's mostly me talking, but with some questions, you know, and comments chimed in. Hopefully those will be audible for you. The topic was this, outreach, why we don't and how we could. Perhaps it's worth noting just two things at the outset. Um, firstly, it's, it's really not a sermon. I just want to underline that. It's not a Bible study. It's just some lessons learned in ministry by me, a church leader, for other church leaders. But I figured, well, why not publish it to the podcast anyway? Perhaps you guys will appreciate it. Secondly, around the table, um, we're all pretty good mates. And I think that's worth noting because it might colour the way that you hear uh, my critique and, and their interaction with it. We love one another. We're good mates and, um, and we enjoy this kind of workout. Oh, one other thing, it's really long. Uh, like it goes for about an hour. Um, I've trimmed it where I can, but uh, hopefully it's uh, of benefit to you. Okay, enjoy. I'm going to talk about outreach, why we don't and how we could. Uh, and by way of introduction, I'd like you to come with me to the Batcave. Um, so it's 1989, so Tim Burton's Batman number one film. Uh, and Batman is just about to explain to Vicky Vale how the Joker is causing people to laugh themselves to death. He says, the, the police have got it wrong. They're looking for one product. The Joker's tainted hundreds of chemicals at the source. The poison only works when the components are mixed. Hairspray won't do it alone, but hairspray mixed with lipstick and perfume would be toxic and untraceable. Uh, let me start with a few of my assumptions about um, outreach. Number one, I don't think me and my church are doing that well at outreach at the present time. Number two, I don't think you and your church are doing that well at outreach. I don't know all of your churches. I'm just going to be presumptuous in that and um, risk being a little bit harsh. I may be wrong. Um, I do suspect that your errors will be different from mine, and, and I hope that's a, um, a helpful topic for us to talk through. Three, Number three, I don't think that we've really got a clear sense of why we aren't growing. Um, we have these, we put it down to these vague things, issues in culture, issues, uh, our theology of God's sovereignty, um, claiming that there are too few evangelists. Uh, we put it down to these vague various things. I don't think we have a clear idea of why we aren't growing. Number four, I do believe that I'm surrounded by, and I mean at this table, talented and smart and creative gospel-centred church leaders. Number five, I believe we aren't growing for whole families of reasons. Um, reasons, for instance, to do with our actual proclamation, how we go about preaching Christ. Reasons to do with how we do church and what that says about Jesus and faith and the Christian life, um, particularly in the eyes of the outsider. Reasons to do with structure, um, which we've probably... In, in this format, we've probably talked quite a bit about, and some of our churches are probably doing fairly well in, reasons to do with our disengagement from the needy around us, which is very much in step with our culture, but out of step with historic Christianity. Uh, and, but today, I'd like to share with you the family of reasons that I've been trying to understand and address in my context. And those reasons are to do with why so few people actually come along to my church. Why do I see so few new people at my church Sunday by Sunday.
Uh, we can talk about all those other families of reasons. I'm not going to do that today. Can I sketch where we're going? First, I'm going to download for you um, a whole bunch of my thought about the tainted chemicals, so to speak. Uh, um, the, um, you know, the hairspray, the lipstick, the perfume, um, all that kind of thing. Uh, you, I have no doubt, you'll be avoiding some of them already, which is good. But I, I'm sure that we're all drinking from enough of them that we've got the deadly cocktail that's causing us to laugh ourselves to death in the area of outreach. Uh, so let me download that, and then I'll pause for questions and comments and discussion. Um, and second, once we've done that, I'd like to show you what we are doing at, at my church or what the process that we've begun doing, um, and perhaps tossing that around will spark some helpful discussion for, you know, uh, around the table, um, ideas uh, and so forth. Any questions on just where I'm going, first of all? Cool. Why aren't we growing? I have eight points here. Um, and the key one came to me from this story. Uh, so number one is expectations, if you want a heading to write down. Have you heard of Takeru Kob- um, Kobayashi? Takeru Kobayashi? Um, here's the scene. Kobayashi takes his seat at the Coney Island 4th of July hot dog eating competition back in 2001. Um, it's this big old American eating competition and Kobe, as he's affectionately known, is flanked by these big old veteran Americans who are taller and bigger than this weedy little Japanese guy, uh, Kobayashi. Now, the clock started with 12 minutes and the record was 25 and one-eighth hot dogs. <laughs> 25 and one-eighth hot dogs. If you eat 26 hot dogs in 12 minutes you stand a chance not only of beating everyone else in the competition, but of setting a new record and holding the record uh, for no doubt some time to come. Just think about that. 12 minutes, 26 hot dogs. That's more than two hot dogs per minute, every minute, for 12 minutes. I'm talking the dog and the bun. And you've got to hold it in. There can be no reversal of fortune as it is known in the pro-eating circuit. Now, let me cut a long story short. Kobayashi, he killed him. There was a guy who he was competing with who pulled off his white shirt and waved it in a flag, as a flag of surrender when he was on eight and he could see Kobe was on 30. <laughs> Kobe went to stop the clock at 50. 50 hot dogs in 12 minutes. The guy has gone on to do televised eating comps, including, <laughs> including one against a one-ton Kodiak bear, <laughs> which he lost, but he later discovered they'd put it on a, a starvation diet for 24 hours. He beat it in the practice. <laughs> Now, I tell the story because it it got me wondering why are we okay with the current record of newcomers at church? Could it be that basically we're suffering from from this failure of imagination that has locked us into the 25 and 1-8 hot dogs of newcomers at church? Uh, I don't know what your church is like. Picture picture them there on any given Sunday morning. Most of us are probably at how many new people? One a week on average? So you might get a new couple every second week or every third week, perhaps. You'll need to scale it for your church. I don't know um, your church size. That's what it is for mine. Uh, And you might say, hey, we're not okay with that. That's that's not fair. I don't accept the premise. We're not okay with that. uh, But I guess I want to say, I mean, we're okay with it in the sense that it is not a crisis for us. 
when we only get that many new people along. Yes, we say we're trying to reach the 217,000 people in the Hobart area or the 106,000 people in the Lonnie area or the 35,000 people in the Kingborough area or the 50,600 people where I am in the Clarence area. That's a Kodiak bear. <laughs> <laughs> face off with one of those. He'd win against that. Look at that weedy creature. <laughs> but for some reason, um, for some reason, when we only see one new person a week, we don't go into crisis mode. You know, we've got those massive numbers. We talk about wanting to reach all these people, but it doesn't throw us into this um, situation. It doesn't put us in the situation room with our elders. Um, we don't fly into crisis mode. We don't drop everything and gather our most creative thinkers and the greatest <coughs> minds in our congregation. There are some wonderful lateral thinkers in our congregations, and what have we got them doing? They're coordinating growth groups or something. Do you see what I mean by... I'm, I'm, I'm for growth groups, but I'm just saying in, we are not in crisis mode when it comes to so few new people coming to our churches. Why not? So after hearing Kobe's story, I had this moment where I imagined, what if I was sitting at this table, like I was literally imagined at this table um, in, I think, the seat that Tom um, is currently sitting in, with you guys, and you're all chewing over, how do we bust through 20 new people a week? You know, we've got Dave chewing on that and, and Graham chewing on that. And, and I'm just sitting there. I'm, I imagine myself sitting there in the corner just trying not to be noticed because my church is bumbling along at one person who's new a week. And the thing is, you know what I'd do, right? Because I'd be ashamed, but shame would drive me... <laughs> to get in the situation room with my elders and to pull my most capable and competent people out of the ministries that they're in to give time to how do we actually reach new people? We're the only ones. All those other guys, they're reaching 20 new people um, a week. It's funny how shame will drive us to do things that the gospel won't. Um, that's for another time. I'd go back and I'd pray, I'd call meetings and I'd pull my best people and I'd give them a big budget um, and I'd, I'd convince, I'd, I'd apply myself to convincing that that's uh, convincing my people that's what we've got to do. Oh, can you put yourself in those shoes? Can you imagine that? Basically, I, I think it's time around our churches for some sustained, aspirational, crazy, creative thinking when it comes to reaching new people, rather than the uncreative, if I may say, tried and failed but stuck out anyway um, methods that we're using approaches that we're using. So there you have my cards on the table, okay? You know where I'm kind of going. That was number one. Number two, uh, more quickly now. I'm going to be so bold as to suggest that we have some woolly theological thinking in two areas that keep us locked into unimaginative outreach. Number one of these doctrinal headings, we confuse coming to church with the miracle of coming to Christ. What do I mean by that? I'm just saying... Uh, if you listen to our prayers, you listen to my prayers and how we talk about newcomers, we talk as if it is akin to a miracle of regeneration that anyone would come to our churches, <laughs> which isn't true. You know, in this kind of language of, oh, God, only you can draw them along. It, it, it's, a, it's a confusion of categories, um, if you like. And I think we unconsciously, therefore, back away from being too practical and hands-on about getting people to church um, because it's God's business and we can't influence it. It's almost like we've slidden into the, uh, the error that we accuse hyper-Calvinists of, of never doing evangelism because God will sort it out anyway. 
I just want to confess confusion of categories. We rely on God and God alone for salvation. And yes, he is sovereign in any new person coming to church. He is sovereign in all things. And yes, there's a due humility that comes from that latter reflection um, in us. But drawing a person to church, I am not passive in that, in the same way that I am passive in regeneration of another human being. And I guess I wonder, if I saw it more as my work, might, or at least uh, that I'm a partner with the Sovereign Lord in that, might I feel that responsibility to reach new people with compelling invitations to church a little more keenly? Might I feel that a little bit uh, more fully, that it rests on my shoulders? And I guess I don't mean just church, that evangelistic talk or that play group um, or, or whatever it is that you're trying to invite new people along to. Uh, second doctrinal head, we're still under doctrine. Second area that I think um, locks us into unimaginative outreach is that we, and I'm talking to pastors especially here, I think we shield ourselves from 2 Timothy 4 verse 5, do the work of an evangelist by hiding behind, get this, our doctrine of church. So my assumption is that you, if you're a pastor, um, you are probably more evangelist than anyone in your congregation. You're certainly better trained for it. Um, I, I, like, seriously, is there anyone in your congregation who's better trained? Uh, I, I doubt it, um, in the areas uh, needed. And you would be as gifted as anyone in your congregation. And so I'm convinced that the work of an evangelist falls squarely on the shoulders of pastors. And I, I guess I've particularly got the pastoral epistles in mind here, um, the verse I just quoted, also I think, you know, deriving out of the Great Commission. I, I, I just think the work of, evangelist, uh, of evangelism does fall squarely on the shoulders of pastors. Now, how is it that we use our doctrine of church to squirm out of that? Um, I think we do this weird thing where we say, on the one hand, church isn't for evangelism. It's not. Church is for church. Uh, if you want to say it's for something, it's for the glory of God and the enjoyment of him forever. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's an end in itself. It's not for evangelism. But, we also say, it happens to be really good at evangelism. You know, 1 Corinthians uh, 12 to 14, especially 14, when an unbeliever comes in amongst you. Um, and that means that I, as a pastor... I think I let myself off the hook such that I claim church time as evangelism time. And I hear do the work of an evangelist and I internally translate that to just do church really well, which is really handy, by the way, because I'm pretty busy through the week making sure that church is done really well. I want to say I think it's a fudge. Um, maybe if we had 20 new people at church every week, it could legitimately be counted. Um, for evangelism time, but we don't at my church. Maybe you do at yours. Pastors, might we need to feel that burden a little bit more keenly? Apprentices, might you need to agitate for more evangelism in your portfolio? If you're if you're won over by my vision of what uh, biblical the biblical pattern of pastoral ministry is, that is involving within it this essential work of the evangelist. If you're not doing any, I'd suggest maybe that's missing from your apprenticeship. Agitate for it. Elders, if there are any here, maybe there aren't, but church leaders generally, um, might you need to free your pastor up to do it because his week is full um, doing church on Sunday really well. So expectations, doctrine, thirdly, programs. Um, my point here is simply that unless we do a minimum, 
So programs is a bit of a dirty word, right? Unless we do a modicum, a minimum in terms of evangelistic programs, what we do do won't be viable. Um, and so we'll have to cancel that Intro God course or the Christianity 1A course um, uh, because only you know one person signed up or no people signed up. I'm not having a shot, by the way, at no. the end of the fellowship. Um, <laughs> it's just an example. Um, I, I think we all know that experience, though. Um, and I'm saying if you don't do the minimum, uh, if your, your program isn't substantial enough, then you're going to have to cancel the stuff because you don't... Uh, well, there's a few factors there, actually. Um, uh, look, in our circles, I think we are fans of long-term, low-key, relational evangelism, and we have to do that. But I just want to say that's not a strategy. That's just called living the Christian life. Um, but if we're going to run evangelistic programs with some strategy behind them, be they events or missions or courses or whatever, then that requires a minimum. Otherwise, you never build enough momentum in your congregation uh, you never build credibility among your target newcomers, but I'll talk about that more in a minute. Um, or probably even cred amongst your congregation, like the confidence of your congregation, let alone the momentum. Uh, let me just leave that hanging because you'll see that more in practice. So programs, expectations, doctrines, programs, fourthly target. I reckon we are vague and fuzzy about who we are even trying to invite to church. Where are the new people going to come from? Are they neighbours of my church building? Then how are they going to hear about us? Are they young families in your general area? Then how will you invite them? Are they students at uni? Because that's kind of the demographic that you're aiming for. Then then what is your plan to reach this disparate bunch of people? Um, Yes, the gospel is for everyone. Of course it's for everyone. But I would argue that a vague target... We're just trying to reach everyone. It prevents us from making specific efforts that actually reach anyone. And so, ironically, our assertion that the gospel is for everyone means that we don't reach anyone Mm -hmm. in a winsome, compelling uh, way that actually draws them out. Uh, Fifthly, perspective. Um, Now, when I ask you, tell me about outreach at your church, my hunch is you all have an answer for that. Um, my hunch is you've got an answer. There's your mum's group, which is good for pre-evangelism, at least in theory, even when there's no non-Christian mums coming along. There's your Easter and Christmas services, and they have good sermons. You work really hard at them. You've got that September mission or whatever, whenever in the year you run that mission thing. Here's my thing about perspective. We see it from our perspective. We drive it from our perspective. We are busy. Uh, that sermon, this event, that program. But let me ask you to view it for a moment through the eyes of your target newcomer. Um, I picture it like this. A neighbour at my church, I've got some classic stories to tell here, but I won't digress for now. Um, a neighbour at my church, they, they got a flyer for our Easter service back in 2014, so, so last year. But they didn't hear from us again until, well, they won't hear from us again until Easter 2016 because our Christmas flyers from last year, they went to other houses in the area And we did social media only for that evangelistic sermon in September, but they're not actually friends on social media with anyone in our congregation. Um, And they'd never hear about that mums group because we rely on word of mouth for that. Easter 2015, we were going to put a flyer in the letterbox, but the person who was going to do it, well, those flyers ended up in the bin on Easter Sunday evening, in the recycling bin, to assuage their conscience. I just don't think one flyer every two years 
is a credible invitation. I can't reasonably assume that my church has a brand identity in the eyes of that flyer recipient. Why? Because of the flyers, because we have basically no signage on Clarence Street, because the signage that we have is old and, I kid you not, has the wrong phone number on it and has had for years. Uh, And that sign doesn't even match the brand identity of anything else that we do. Um, It's not really their fault, those people in the street who get that flyer once every two years, um, when they toss it straight in the bin because they feel like it's an invitation to a group that they've never heard of. When is the last time that you got an invitation and it was the first encounter that you've had with a group and you said, yeah, I'll go along? In terms of flyers that I would actually respond to, I would, if I got a flyer about the Ollie Festival down at, at Calvin... I'd go along to that. I've heard of them, but I mean, I went to that school before. Uh, if I got a flyer for that bookstall that seems to be about annually at that church in Taruna, I'd go along to that. I know very little about who runs it, but they seem to have good, good books, at least by reputation. You know what I mean? Like, it's actually, it, it takes a pretty good flyer and it takes some pre-existing knowledge for that to actually get traction, to be a credible, compelling invitation. Perspective, target... Uh, uh, programs, those things then plug into. Sixth, promotions. Promotions. Imagine for a moment that your church had a sustained promotions plan that thought about who was being invited, that thought about who was being invited, to what they were being invited, how they'd be invited, how frequently they were being asked along to anything, which says something um, in itself. Um, And if they do come, what they are invited to next. Um, We're starting to talk now about the relationship that we are cultivating um, with the people whom we have never met who are beginning to form opinions of us by what we do in the public sphere. Now, engineering that kind of stuff, uh, a promotions plan, that means long-term, it means coordinated, it means that if you invest, for example, in flyers, and I mention flyers not because that's all that there is but because that is a key part of our plan, Um, if you invest in flyers then you might see zero return in terms of newcomers coming along for six iterations, which could well be 12 or 18 months, Uh, but you'll be okay with that because it gives credibility to the seventh one, that invitation to the couples workshop, that then they go, you know what, I've heard a little bit about this church, I know who they are now, I have enough of a sense that I would have gone to that market, I just wasn't around that weekend, but I need to work on my marriage. So I'll go to the couples workshop or I'll at least um, give them an email about it. Promotions. Uh, So that was all just to say, uh, you know, long-term coordinated plan. Edginess, edginess, um, whatever number I'm up to, seventh. Let me make one comment here, right? Print may be dead, and Facebook may be so last decade. Instagram is over. Don't even talk to me about phone books or flyers or A-boards or billboards or signs or whatever. I want to say, unless you have got a better idea, don't try to be so edgy and cool that you ignore those obvious avenues. Of print, location-based social media ads, yes, those are a thing. Actual billboards and actual market stall, unless, unless you've got a better idea. So according to Facebook's first quarter 2015 stats, Facebook had 936 million daily active users. Daily, 936 million. Now, it's self-reporting, so, you know, who knows? Of which, 270 million are in the Asia-Pacific region. I'm just guessing some of those are in Howrah. 
That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Don't try to be too edgy. Finally, competition. This one is not quite at home. This, is, this would be more at home in one of those other families of regions, but I mentioned it here because it plugs into some of the last few, especially perspective. In a sense, this, it flows from the perspective thing. Um, I don't think we're very good at articulating and appreciating what it costs for a new person to come to our church. I need to ask myself this, what did they have to give up? And here's my hint. It is not other churches. They are not our competition. The Caros aren't our competition. To come to church, I would have to give up, put yourself in a few different personas here, getting one decent sleep in in my week, taking a run with the girls, that lazy late breakfast with the family or cafe with the girlfriend or visiting mum and dad when I haven't seen them you know, for morning tea for, for months or catching up on the gardening or ironing the shirts for the week ahead. That's what you are asking them to skip to come to church. They do something on Sunday morning already. Now, why do I raise this? Well, basically, I wonder if we could cut people a bit of slack, actually. I wonder if church would just feel way more doable if, for example, we had just amazing chilled-out breakout spaces with good coffee uh, and baby chinos for the kids. I'm not trying to lure people to church with that. I'm not trying to convert them to that. I'm just saying, gosh, it might make it a little bit more easy for them to give up the other things. Because the thing is, those other things are good, right? Those, like, time invested in your marriage on a Sunday morning or invested with your kids, we are probably asking them to give up the most precious time in their entire week, the thing that they enjoy the most. Come to church. If I can, in some small way, take the edge off that cost while I preach Jesus to them, then I reckon it's worth it. Uh, and that's one area where I really haven't thought very much through. Um, pause for questions, comments, uh, areas where you reckon I need to uh, extend it out a bit, uh, thoughts that you've had. So those are my eight um, reasons why we don't. Thoughts, comments? One thing I'm always a little bit nervous on, Yeah, uh, I've been thinking about this for years, uh, is branding and promoting my church. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Like as opposed to regard the branding and promoting Christ. Yes. Um, totally. Uh, yeah. Have you thought about that at all? Yeah, a, a, a little. Um, so uh, I like the way. I can't remember how you phrased it, but I like the way Kingston. Is it all about Jesus? Is that your tagline? So I, I think there's. There are, even in your branding, um, I think there are ways you can signal that you're all about Jesus mm. and definitely the experience that people have when they do come along, I think you definitely want that to be. So I haven't really talked about the place of the sermon, the place of the Word of God, the place of, you know, what holistic Christian life and worship kind of looks like. Um, yeah, you've got to tease all that out, but... Um, uh, and you've got to beware the bait-and-switch thing. But my hunch is if you're part of a church that really does have the gospel central, that Jesus at the centre, um, and you do really see these things as uh, ways to draw people to Christ, um, then I, I reckon 
we are we would not be falling foul of the kind of uh, you know to use a parallel the rhetoric of the um, false teachers in Corinth or or whatever, but actually it's just kind of a recognition of what what life in this age is and. Uh, um, yeah, I kind of get what you mean. I think it's the gospel. I think we've got to kind of lean on the gospel to self-correct all the time. And it does mean that you've got to have this kind of depth conversations with a lot of people um, so that your board of management or your committee of management or whatever knows why you want to spend all that money so that your congregation people know, like uh, especially those who couldn't give a rat's about decent coffee, so why they know that, why you go to that amount of trouble um, for it. Otherwise, it does communicate some pretty rank things within your congregation and not to mention kind of some potentially mixed messages as they go out. Yeah, I don't know. That's just top of it. One thing I was certainly told about branding when we were trying to rebrand is don't tell lies. So your branding has to be consistent with who you are. You may want to attract funky 20-somethings with, by giving the impression that you are a funky 20-something church but if you're just totally not that, uh, and you know most of your photographs come from photo stock um, of smiley people, uh, and actually you're an, el- you're an elderly, and actually you're an elderly church, don't do that because people will go, I've, I've totally been sold at the river here. Um, so I mean, how you do that, you know. Come along and age. Quickly. I guess that's what, what always concerns me is that when you brand, when you brand and advertise, is you sell the strengths or something? And yeah, not the weaknesses. Not the weaknesses? Mm. Like, whoever puts up on their church website, <laughs> actually, most of us can barely hold our lives together. <laughs> Come and join us. Marriage is in trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I just. We embezzled What about guys who went to jail? <laughs> Like, part of me thinks so. Part of me thinks that actually maybe that should somehow be part of our, like, the way that we think about yep. how we market ourselves. Yep. Yep. What we're saying is actually there's a lot of stuff. It's just not working. So I think, um, I think in the public eye, um, just, just two quick reflections and we might move on. Um, number one, your, your brand... Um, it comes to capture up an awful lot of stuff, but in any one interaction, it doesn't communicate very much. Um, you communicate way more when they actually have a personal interaction with you, um, and that's as it should be. And you can communicate all of the nuance um, when there is that personal interaction. Um, the second one is, though, just in terms of, um, and we're sort of beginning to bridge into this, um, the, the events that you put on, for instance... Um, communicate what you value and what you care about. Um, so if you are, uh, for instance, just one that, that comes to mind with us, if you're putting on a couples workshop um, and the way that you, um, just your little taglines, your little kind of promotional quotes or whatever that are in there, that they will communicate how you view marriage in the world and whether you have a realistic view of marriage and whether you're upfront about the challenges of it. I pick on this one just because it's not because everyone's married, but just because it's it's one that we've done and thought about a little bit. Um, and uh, and how you put that together with, with your faith, at least in some tiny little way. I, I think that ends up speaking kind of volumes, recognizing that it's kind of at arm's length. You can say so much more when they're actually when there's that direct interaction. I'm, I'm going to move on. We can um, we can uh, talk more uh, shortly.
For this section, um, so you've got in your hands um, what, what we're doing. I'll just talk you through the structure of the 12 months ahead for us, or part of that. I don't think we'll actually even get that far. And what I've included there. Now, the context is my session, that's my elders, we discuss this plan in some way, shape or form every session meeting. So it's, it's just a standing item on our agenda. We at least talk about what has been and what is coming up. That's just one of the ways that we kind of keep it there um, and, frankly, keep me accountable um, for implementing it because I'm responsible for um, large swathes of it at the moment, which needs to change. Um, I think we need to do better at whole church ownership. We're going to talk about it at our AGM and uh, I need to get better at talking about it from the front. Um, what I'd like from you as we go through is for you to kind of tally up, am I practising what I preach? So I laid out the problem fairly forcefully in eight points. Um, am I practising what I preach or have I fudged it in, in implementation? Am I dodging things myself? Does this spark, secondly, ideas for your context? I'd really like to hear them, frankly, so that I can pinch them. Um, one preliminary on the front page, I'd just like to draw your attention to the who, the target, as a church, uh, I'm reading off the front page now, we have two communities that are well within our reach. Firstly, Howrah, that's the geographical area around our church building. If you know the Eastern Shore, I'm, I'm talking about between Wentworth Street and Shoreline, between the highway and the beach. It's this massive rectangle. Uh, if we try to fly that area, taking into account, no joke, Master, because uh, a thousand, a bit over a thousand um, kind of flies is what we're talking about there. It's doable. My people know it. They can visualise it. They go, yeah, yeah. that's there. And that's where we are physically. Secondly, the school community at Emmanuel. So we have this historic connection mm -hmm. in starting the school from amongst the people um, in our congregation. We have a few avenues there, parents and teachers, either who are at our church or they're my friends or close to us, um, which is cool. And there are inns there with their newsletter um, and so forth. So let me talk you through. Um, so you've got that background now. They are our particular points of focus, um, and they'll help you to navigate this. Uh, turn over to, it's sort of, it's where you have October, um, and it's 2015. So on the first page of the program, May, June, July, August, September, October at the bottom of the page. So what have we got coming up next month? Well, we're going to have a How to Make Amazing Coffee at Home session. Um, and we, that is, sorry, there's a mistake in... Is it in yours as well? No, I fixed it in yours. Good. Um, I'm not promoting that to Howrah. We are, though. Um, next column, promoting it to Emmanuel. We're using the newsletter, God willing, um, and social media particularly. Um, you'll notice on this plan, I haven't sort of capitalised on some of those parent and teacher kind of relationships. When it comes to the Emmanuel community, they are the gold. They are the, the real kind of um, thing there, rather than the newsletter. The newsletter helps those people to invite people, um, which is great. Um, when they come, so I'm in the last column now, then we invite them to Youth Night and our market. Why Youth Night? Because they're parents of children at Emmanuel Christian School. And so I want them, and many of them don't go to church, right? I'm not poaching them from other churches. Um, uh, I want to invite them to Youth Night. So I've just thought about what's the next thing? Well, Youth Night's a gold one because they have kids roughly in the age range. And our market, which is our community market, we'll come to in a minute. Second event in October, we're starting mainly music. We're going to promote that to the community 
um, through A-boards, flyers, and actually social media. I'm not sure if that's written on yours there. We'll also try and get it in the um, Emmanuel newsletter once a month on a rolling system until we reach our kind of limit of number of people that we can have in our session. And that's going to become an ongoing thing. Now, when people come along there, what I want Katie, who's running that, to be thinking about is how do we invite them to church? And assuming that they're parents with other children, or at least some of them, how do we invite them um, uh, to bring their kids along to youth night? Um, then in November... Um, we have a market and we're going to try and promote that to both Howrah and the Emmanuel um, group uh, and that's going to involve a fair bit of you know, uh, thought ahead it's during the market. Uh, we'll just have a, a church, come along to church um, kind of slide up on the screen. In December we have an activity play. Um, if we get our billboard built in time, I will devote billboard space to it, A-boards, flyers, social media, just in case you're down on um, kind of the, you know, kind of, signage and um, A boards and things like that. I've literally um, spoken to people who have said stuff like, um, <laughs> this is a classic, a woman came to the door of our church building, she knocked on the door, she said, um, hi, uh, I've got kids, I live just up the road, I've lived up the road for years, um, do you guys, like my, my kids are hassling me because they want to go to a church youth group, but, um, and so they said I have to come and ask here, but you guys don't run a youth group, do you? Like, because you just, you do lunches for old people. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding. Like, this is what she said. We have a youth group, right? Um, but for somehow, even though she lives 200 metres from the door of our church, she did not know that we had this on. Um, a little bit of signage can go a long way. That's all I want. So anyway, uh, where was I? Uh, nativity play, billboard, A-board, flyers, social media, uh, targeted to the location, um, uh, and we'll get newsletters. That is a community event. It's usually well attended, and we'll be trying to invite people to come to church for our Christmas services particularly, and we'll just mention our Holiday Kids Club, which is coming up um, in January. Christmas church services... Um, we'll uh, promote, that's a largely word of mouth one, we'll promote it using flyers and A-board, um, again, trying to get people to come to the Holiday Kids Club in January. You, do you kind of get the picture? Like, there's just this feed of invitations um, so that when the seventh one comes around, people come along. Um, I won't go on too much longer. So, uh, Holiday Kids Club in late January, um, feeding into youth night, mainly music, getting started for the year in February, those sorts of things. Just have a look at, um, at, at February, what I've got planned there. So that's kind of a busy month already. You're sort of already trying to learn, launch church for the year. Um, so what I have in mind there is not to do an extra event, but just a, a flyer kind of campaign that says, why not start the year back at church? So I'm just going for the low-hanging fruit uh, of people who are already kindly disposed to going along to church in our community. Uh, and it just says, if, if you're one of them, um, then don't let the year get away without sorting things out with uh, actually getting into a pattern, or at least going to church. Um, so that's the kind of thing there. It's, God willing, super easy. I mean, it's just flyers um, and social media and stuff like that. It doesn't demand much of us. It's not an extra meeting. March, I want to run a Basics of Christianity course. And this one I'm going to pitch in two different ways. Um, uh, to uh, parents at Emmanuel, many of whom don't go to church, as I said, I want them, uh, I want them to, I guess, get reacquainted. Come and have a refresher. Get get your head around the basics of Christianity again. Um, for new, for total like newcomers, 
in our um, general community, in Howrah, it'll be a come and figure out the basics of Jesus um, uh, once and for all kind of thing. And that'll be short sermons, there'll be musical items, there'll be um, discussion time there. Interestingly, the spouses, the non-Christian spouses and friends and stuff of um, people at my church already, they're, they're quite keen. Actually, they want to come. And indeed, some of the um, uh, you know people kind of my age at church who I would say they are converted, they want to come, um, bring their spouses, bring their siblings who no longer go to church. Um, so there's a little bit of a, a groundswell for that um, already. Uh, I'm hoping that that group then flows into a Basics of the Christian Life um, uh, series in April. Um, and, uh, yeah, maybe I'll just... Um, I mean, I could go on and on. I don't want to do that. You can read. Um, has this... Any questions? Has this sparked some ideas, some reflections, things that you want to take back to your <coughs> elders, perhaps, or leaders? Carl, again? Yeah, kind of. So who put this together? Me. Just all on your own? Or? Yep. Mostly. Yep. So some of the ideas, uh, I'm working with some existing ideas. There's a lady in our congregation who run, who's just keen on markets. She likes running them. Um, uh, she's figuring out better over time how to do them. Um, and there's the impetus for the kids club things with the Emmanuel, uh, the holiday kids clubs. That hasn't come from me, but I think it dovetails well with our plan. But in terms of the plan, coordinating, thinking it through me. Yeah. Um, Andy? Um, so, as I consider Sandy Bay Baptist, yep. um, I was wondering what your thoughts are, partly by the way you went about selling it yep. to your people, yeah, yeah. Uh, but also um, thinking about Sandy Bay that we just don't really have any leaders, mm. or we don't have an eldership, and we don't really have any clearly defined people who a go-to people. Yes. There's just been people who've been there for years and they're yes. kind of prominent because they've just been there for years. Yep. Um, so how you think a scenario like that... Yes. Uh, like, it, this, is, this is great, but is this kind of a whole bunch of ways down the line because you need to set up a whole load of other things to get to something like this? Yeah, good um, question. What, what's yeah. your thoughts on both yeah. those? So right, right at the very start of this, um, on the front page, I think, it's, it says that I'm trying to do something that's sustained and sustainable. So it's sustained in this consistency, like it brings some consistency, um, but it's also sustainable for our congregation at the moment. So um, that, that's one reflection. I'm not trying to do something that, that outpaces what we can manage. Um, if you feel that uh, for your congregation, you could not even reach the, that minimum that you need to pull off a program. Um, that 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 would be a challenge. And another, uh, and I'm not quite sure how to advise you on that. Um, another key element here is what I've been preaching through. So we only just recently came off the back of a series on two Timothy, and you can bet that I talked a fair bit about evangelism and passing on the baton there. And I do think that that prepared the way. Mm among some key people to receive this much more warmly. Um, what my, my feel is with my congregation, um, there is a real, um, uh, yeah, I think it's fair to say passion for evangelism, um, but not a super clear uh, view of, of how to put that into practice and what that might look like. Um, and when sometimes when I've proposed 
things, it's been met with initial opposition, only to see that thing work quite well, um, with that person not very closely involved, um, and then them speak positively of it afterwards. So I think it is something that you have to build up. Uh, and in terms of you know me as pastor, there are some things that I can invest a lot of time in, um, and I can work on those things. Uh, when you know uh, marvelous people in my congregation say, "Hey, I want to run this," I'm trying hard to be uh, an encourager without a take a runner up. Um, so with the kids club, for instance, the person who came to me with that idea said, um, hey, we should totally do this. I can definitely like draw enough kids along. This is for our mid-year holiday kids club that was just for Emmanuel students. Um, and I, all that I took on there was teaching the kids about Jesus. I did not take on a central coordinating role, but I did try to meet with her regularly enough so that there was, so that she had the support that she needed for the event to go well, knowing that I'm kind of the linchpin that lots of stuff goes through. So I think it's, um, yeah, man, I feel for you. I don't have all the answers. Man, I think I'm it's got to be led by the gospel. <laughs> um, but you got to start somewhere. I don't know. We aren't we aren't nailing all this yet, right? This is by no means. Yeah, well, someone's got a nail lined up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, one thing, and this is not a question; it's more a comment, but it's certainly one that resonated with me. Is the importance of feeders. For your evangelistic Definitely. services, so I think this is one of the things we've really mucked up at CRCK. So in the past five years, uh, we've definitely we've we've done more evangelism because we weren't doing anything formal before. Yeah. There was no Christianity Explored course, no outreach services. There was nothing. Yeah. yeah. So we started that. That's been great, but um, <clears throat> we've just hoped that people will come along. You know, it's been a bit field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. Uh, largely, they haven't. <laughs> uh, we have, um, you know, we have hoped that uh, our feeder has been a really. Uh, we've just assumed our oh, people will have non-Christian friends, firstly, and secondly, they'll be keen to bring them along. Both those assumptions are very questionable. Mm-hmm. Our people are uh, time poor and relationship rich. That is. They haven't got much time, and what time they do have is already filled up with pre-existing relationships. It's a migrant church. Most of those relationships are people they're biologically related to. They haven't got space for non-Christian friends. And so we haven't seen a lot of people come along to Christianity Explored. And people have come to some of our events, but not a heap. We're only just now, and I'm only just now twigging, oh, we need to plan not only just things for people to come to, but to really consciously think, where are they going to come from? Mm. Will they come? They need to come from the Maranoa Heights Community Centre. Yeah. They need to come from Calvin Christian School. Duh! Just across the road, full of non-Christian parents. <laughs> Only just thought of it. Yeah. Uh, can, can I suggest there's, there's probably another one which is which is peculiar to Reformed churches mm. and uh, ones that still kids have who've fallen away. Yeah, the kids who've fallen away. The, yeah, yeah, they, we've been in space. They are they are being prayed for. You can bet every yeah, yeah, Orma yeah. and Orpa is praying their heart out for the salvation of those kids mm. there will be a passion there to see them come back to church but um, every what I think goes on is every um, invitation every event that we kind of put out there they somehow feel it is not for them even though mm. it would be perfect for them mm. and I I think it is difficult 
but I, I suspect it's probably largely through personal relationship, difficult to get them to actually kind of go, oh, that one totally is for me. Mm. That thing is for me. Christianity, uh, you know, intro God or whatever, that would absolutely help me move forward. Um, you know, yeah, so mm. I, I just think that's one that's peculiar to our kind yeah, of church. Yeah, 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 that's right. That, um, yeah, if you've got the secret sauce on that, I want it. Um, no. Do you think maybe you could just do, this just popped into my head, that like something super transparent that goes that, like kind of an ex churchy kid? <laughs> yeah. Kind of evangelistic yeah. coffee thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and if you can pitch it right, because largely it's going to be uh, relationally sold to them, because they're <coughs> not coming to your church. Mm. Um, and so it, you have to somehow put the compelling invitation in the hands of Orma so that she knows, because she's probably the one with the pull. On that person, mm. or in the hands of the sister who um, has a, a solid relationship still with her brother, um, it probably won't be the dad. Um, mm. You know, just the way dads roll. Uh, who, you know, it might be. You know what I mean? Like, it, but it, somehow you need to equip your people to make the compelling invitation to their loved one, which is a difficult thing to do mm. to begin with. I want to talk about one other thing. Uh, I've got some extra thoughts just for renters. How many people rent their church building? So I was thinking. Oh, then rent it from someone else. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so more than half, or well, at least the uni fellowship rent. Up, yeah, cool. Right? So we kind of do two, Sandy Bay and yeah, Wellsprings. Yeah. yeah. I've just got some extra thoughts for you guys because I think it's difficult, more difficult to apply to that situation. So I want to share some thoughts um, there. So I used to be at Crossroads um, until recently. Now I'm at Good News Church. We own our building, and so that transition has been helpful for me in sort of chewing over what opportunities I do have and what I do if I then took that wisdom back. Uh, renters have got, renters have got a bunch of problems. You're invisible for most of the week. You need to differentiate yourself from your host, whether it's a church or some other kind of um, uh, business. You don't have a physical presence, the physical presence of the pastors through the week ordinarily in that space, although in uni fellowships case you do. Um, basically my advice is, this is the umbrella, Identify and own every single shortcoming of renting and figure out how to overcome them. Um, here goes. Here's a few. Target. The temptation for renters especially, I think, is to have a vague target as to who you're reaching. If your target is Hobart or your target is Launceston, that is too vague unless you are implementing a strategy that is actually aimed at the whole lot. And I'm talking about getting a plane and skywriting invitations to church in the yeah. air. Um, or TV or radio or very expensive Google ads. Narrow your target. Pick your suburb and be okay with that. You're allowed to do that. Secondly, permanence. I think it is a pitfall to say, well, we're renting, so we might move, as if that's some reason not to target the area um, that is directly around you when you're meeting. The thing is, look, you'll probably be renting for years in that location. I know you're about to move. You'll probably be renting in that location for years. Um, and that's the time frame that you need to reach people with compelling invitations to church to draw them to hear the good news of Jesus. Thirdly, dependence on your landlord. Ask yourself, I think it's a worthwhile exercise, if we own the building, what actual difference would it make to outreach? Not, I'm not talking about knocking walls down. Uh, what difference would it make to outreach? Would we have a whopping billboard? Um, would we have pamphlets stuck to the front door? Would we have A-boards chained to the street corner um, I'm thinking of Crossroads now, down at Argyle Street, 
um, every day would our pastors wander down there with a chain and an A-board and chain it to the thing. I don't know what the council bylaws are on that. You'd have to check them out for yourself. Uh, would you use the car park right next door for a twice-yearly market um, in you know, partnership with the other businesses around you? I just want to say you can probably do all that. There's, there's extra layers of admin and hassle and difficulty and cost and compromise. Um, if you're renting from a church, offer to buy them a massive billboard on the proviso that they give you one third of the surface area or something. They'll probably buy it. Just pay for it. I mean, seriously, it's not going to cost that much. Um, if they have a church office, ask them if they do the chained A-board thing for you just to scratch your back. You'll find some way to scratch theirs in return. Fourthly, lastly, hassle. Renting just adds a layer of hassle to every attempt to get a sign or to install, you know, the little pipes. What do you call those things? To anchor the flags like Vine Church has? Mm. Uh, it's just a hassle. Teardrop signs. Yeah, teardrop signs. It's just a hassle for every little thing. And my encouragement to pastors, particularly at this point, is that is what the chairman of your board or committee of management is for. Yes. Not only that, see, we appoint these gospel-hearted, good at negotiating, wonderful people to these roles, so put them to work. And Because the thing is, what I've found is um, they're delighted to be able to tackle something that has actual direct benefits to outsiders rather than squabbling internally over, you know, the, how to name budget line items. It's, it's, it'll be, it could be the highlight of their year in that role that they actually get to help the cause of the gospel in a way that feels tangible that they're doing something. Give them the job. Final comments, questions? We have four minutes. Either on that or the problems. So, Bernie, going back to your two books, one of the things that lock us into ungrowing thinking. Yeah. Um, what, to what extent can you see the first one gaining any leverage in your congregation? Yeah. Uh, that is, uh, not being passive in drawing someone to church. And secondly, in this program, um, where does that constitute you doing the work of evangelist? Yeah. Yep. Uh, let me take the second one first because it's just easy to answer. So, with the um, basics of Christianity course, like that's actual Jesus talk to non Christians. With the kids' clubs, um, part of the makeup of those is that I speak about Jesus um, to the kids. So it's um, deliberately, it's it's more workload in a way. Although I can be smart about how I incorporate that into the rest of my working life. Um, uh, but yeah, there's definitely more frontline, like dedicated ministries that aren't just church, um, you know, Sunday, aren't just Sunday morning kind of things. Uh, on the first one, um, I think it's a subtle one. So that was the the doctrinal thing where we confuse coming to church with the miracle of coming to Christ. Um, I just think it's a subtle way that by which we let ourselves um, off the hook, um, rather than a um, this, therefore that. Uh, I think it's vague. So, so I mean, uh, I'm guessing, because, you know, that, that's quite a light bulb thing to distinguish between those two. Yeah. And we all go, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, has there been opportunity to explore that with your congregation if they had that light bulb yeah, at all? Or? Yeah, uh, no, not especially. So, like I said, we've been talking this plan more with my session. Yeah. But I haven't talked all this, so this is my notes from today, I haven't talked all that with my session. So there's more in my head than there is in the plan yeah. um, and we're not kind of at that level, that cycle through where they've kind of got 
as much as you've got today. Yeah, yeah. it's a great question. Thanks for sharing it with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I feel like um, maybe this is, but I feel like uh, look, your, your church culture may be really different. I don't have a window on this. Often I think we have quite low expectations of our session meetings or our leadership or church council kind of meetings in terms of how much of this kind of depth thinking that we do with them. Um, but my experience is they kind of thrive when you do open up a little bit of that with them. Um, and I, I suspect I need to capitalise on that a bit more. Andy? Um, feel free to say no comment or just give us a bit of a ballpark figure, but um, would you be able to disclose what your budget is for something like this so we can kind of gauge like yeah. what, like what's a, what is a reasonable amount or a crazy amount or, you know, it might be like, oh, $300, but it's like, whoa, you're not going to do anything with that. Um, um, yep, yep, sure. Maybe I don't have the figures off the top of my head. What's but, a so, to do a bunch of things, so maybe start there. Yep. but you probably don't need to go to this amount. Even. So for for printing next year uh, of just flyers and stuff, I think we've, our budget's somewhere between $1,000 and $1,500. For A-boards and stuff like that, I think it's it would be less than that. Our billboard signs are... Uh, hang on, see how they change it four times... I'm guessing it'd be another 800 plus those many of those items, those ministries have uh, budget line items of their own, but they're usually only a few hundred each. So I don't know if someone might have been adding that up on the way through. I reckon for under five grand, we'd be implementing this kind of thing. Compare that to my salary, it, that's not very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and I guess that's something which, um, which I have bumped up against a little bit is um, not, not heaps, actually, to the credit of my folks, in my opinion, um, is uh, we like sharpening the pencil and cutting costs. Um, but in terms of doing this stuff well, we're talking small budget items, and I think it's okay. I, I My disposition is it's fine to spend money on this kind of thing better to splurge a little bit and have spent a little bit more than we probably should have here than um than on all sorts of other areas where it's, oh, man we just did not need to um and and i think a comment for pastors here you do need to be crystal clear on what your priorities are with when it comes to spending money so um without going into detail on it uh i had a um, uh, conversation with um, my chairman of the board of management at my church, and he was um, uh, he was wanting to quite significantly um, reshape uh, one of the the public image kind of items in our outreach plan, um, and uh, to reduce cost. Um, and what I need to remember is he's responsible for building and facilities kind of stuff. So what I need as pastor to bring isn't micromanaging of all of that, but clarity on what it is that I want from him. Um, and if he delivers that in a slightly different way, I don't mind, um, it's fine. But if he ends up shaving all the things that I care about off, oh, I do care about that and I don't even want the thing anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it really does require some clarity from me um, 
and uh, and goodwill between us to be able to have that that conversation well, which I think we do have, which mm. is great. Mm. Cool. Well, we might leave it there. Thanks, Bernard. Mm. Um, that's been very stimulating. <laughs>